Welcome to We Got Balls, real, raw, masculine sex talk with Chris Inman and Scott Cohn. Chris and Scott both work with men who want to leave their unwanted sexual struggles in the past. They are willing to do whatever it takes to help men get curious about what drives their compulsive sexual behavior. With that said, here we go. Well, hey guys, welcome back to We Got Balls, and today is the day to get kinky. Scott, that's what we're all into, is all the kinky stuff. All the kink, all the uh, time. We're gonna, yeah, <laughs> we're going to talk about feet, we're going to talk about um, role play, we're going to talk about furries, we're going to talk about leather, anything else I'm missing. A- leather, spandex, sleep. Yeah. yeah, anything you can think of that may be... A little bit out of the ordinary. And just to define fetishes for you guys, Oxford Dictionary says it's a form of sexual desire in which gratification is strongly linked to a particular object or activity, whether that's not a sexual part of the body. So anything that's not a sex organ or a uh, what we've talked about as the, as the visual cues, although in our visual cues, Scott, feet was one of them, right? Yeah, so, so typically fetishes are outside of cued visual sexual interest because um, the the four body parts that everybody's aroused by, all men are aroused by, are chest, breasts, butts, feet, and penises. Feet is the number two search term for both uh, straight men and uh, gay identified men they're looking for in terms of body part. So, mm-hmm. but it's such a dominant feature of fetishization that we have to talk about it because we, we can't admit feet, right? And be, and a lot of right. people are really mystified by this. So we're going to talk about that. But basically what we're saying is anything outside of chest, breasts, butts, penises, although feet the exception, can be turned into a fetish. So sure. um, it's a object or a body part or a location even that can be turned yeah. into a place of sexual arousal that I feel compelled. Like every time I want to get sexually aroused or I get really sexually aroused, that's the thing I go to. That's the place I go to, or that's the body part that really turns me on. Um, and so how does that happen? What, why does that happen? So there's some interesting biology, uh, about this in terms of men developing fetishes versus females. So most, most fetishes are developed by men, not wait, 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 wait. Are you serious? Like we're putting this all in our camp. It's just, it's just a a dude problem. It's primarily a dude problem. And, um, and the reason for that is because men have more neurons in our brain devoted to processing visual cues. So, so the reason, well, it also makes sense too, Scott, that because, you know, fetishes are often not associated with fertility cues are also not, uh, Associated with procreation. That's the word I was looking for. Oh, procreation. Not, they're not associated with, with, with procreation. And, and women hardwired to, in a lot of ways, to connect. And op, their bodies are hardwired to reproduce, much like ours are. But there seems to be a bit of a, a dynamic with men where we get sidetracked and we get sidelined in some of these uh, unique ways of being sexually aroused. Right. So here's why. Because the male brain is highly subject to being hijacked by pornography that's the same reason why it's highly subject for, for being hijacked by fetishes, because we're so visually oriented. And mm. it's very easy. So this is the thing about fetishes. They tend to create a lot of shame because people don't understand where they come from. So a guy that develops a fetish 
does not understand why he is sexually aroused by that particular location or body part or object, and he ends up feeling a lot of shame about it. But when you can start to sit down and look at it with curiosity and an openness, they're fairly easy to decode because a lot of times they develop in childhood, they develop out of a, something that symbolizes an object of harm in some sense, or, you know, what's the role of a fetish, just like a role of fantasy, is it takes an object, it imbues it with erotic significance, and it tries to overcome that object that has been a subject of harm in a person's life in some way. I got, I got a great example of that. I, I was walking with a guy a few years ago, and we went to lunch, and he started talking about what kind of porn he liked to look at. And he said he loves gigantism porn. So he likes a small man and a very large woman. And so there's that idea of, you know, I'd never heard of that. I was, you know, trying to figure out where's that come from. And he begins to talk about his family dynamic in which his dad was the overwhelmingly powerful person in his family. And his, he had always felt minimized and reduced and just kind of dismissed by his dad. So that's a bit of the reversal dynamic in the family of origin. I want to find a sexual object who is also very big, but not interested necessarily in dominating me for their pleasure, interested in, in, in being with me as a physical presence for my pleasure. Now, so that, that's one possibility. It can form out of a harm scenario in which you're trying to reverse it. It could simply form out of just purely conditioning. So um, William Struthers in the really good book, um, Wired for Intimacy, kind of points out this, this experiment that you could do where you could take a guy and you could put a red baseball cap on his computer monitor and you could say, here's what I want you to do is I've set up a computer. I don't want you to touch anything on it. Just leave everything as it is. And what I want you to do is I want you to watch porn every day for a couple of times and masturbate to it. And then at the end of two weeks, our experiment will conclude it. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just give you some tests. So the guy masturbates to porn every day, multiple times a day. And at the end of two weeks, the experimenter walks in with a red baseball cap on his hat and the guy would be sexually aroused. Mm, because in yeah. his field of vision, when he's ejaculating, the orgasm is connecting him with whatever he's looking at. And that's the way the male fetish develops. And it can happen in a one-time experience if the experience is intense enough. So like you exam like, like the, that example there. Another example I've heard is a guy when he was a teenager was wrestling this girl and she pinned him. And so he got really turned on to this fetish around women wrestlers. That's what it mm -hmm. took to sexually arouse him. Because after that one-time experience with the girl, he went and masturbated, and his orgasm bound him to that experiment. I've, I've talked about another case where a guy, when he was a teenager, got a hydrocell on his testicle, which is an accumulation of fluid that produces pain, went to the doctor's office. They had him pull his pants down, lay back on the crinkly paper, and a female lab technician came in, put some warm gel on his scrotum, took a ultrasound wand and started rubbing it around his scrotum. Instant boner, right? Sure. And the guy sure. then leaves the doctor's office, masturbates, and bonds to that experience. And even today, as a 40-year-old man who's married, happily married, um, when he goes to the doctor and sits on that crinkly paper, he gets a raging erection. So in that one-time experience then, his orgasm became associated with that particular location and the scenario that was going on and didn't really understand why that was happening to him until he had some help kind of decoding that. 
So I think it's really interesting that in all those examples, Scott, and really this is universally true for anybody who uses pornography and masturbation, um, those sounded like all self-soothing. Like you talked about, this is an experience that I had. I was soothing myself. It was, it was associated with these particular dynamics, whether it's a red baseball cap or somebody rubbing some gel on my testicles or somebody touching me and wrestling me and pinning me. But th- those embodied experiences get anchored in with, in, in our naivety, let's just be very honest, none of those guys were particularly saying, hey, I want to go out and find a sexual arousal point. They were just soothing themselves the only way they knew how. And that kind of, like you said, got locked in because of the experiences they were having at the time. Well, how many of our dads ever talked to us about masturbating and be careful what you're masturbating to? Not mine. I didn't ever got any of that talk. I got don't do it. Nobody's dad yeah. talks to them about yeah. that. But, but you got the talk about, you know, hey, make sure that you do it this way or this many times or or whatever it was, right? Yes. Do not do it more than three times a week. That's right. So so, you got a limit, you got a boundary. So I only felt shame when I did it more than (laughs) But that's, but but that's the idea is I think when, when we talk about fetishes, I I do want to put a pin on what you said earlier, which is people think that it's odd. And there's a lot of shame around this because I, this turns me on. And one of the beauties of this podcast is that we want to say, listen, there is no shame in anything that turns you on there's simply room for curiosity. And so especially in this episode, we want to be able to open up the window into what's going on in your experience and your story to where might this thing that really makes you come alive have come up in your development. Yeah, that's my point for spending so much time on how fetishes develop here in the beginning, because they can develop very simply. You're not even thinking about it. You're not aware that it's developing. It's a fairly innocent act. You know, the the, the other classic example that I think I've shared before is the guy who grew up in a very religious Christian home, mm-hmm. and he would masturbate in his bedroom above the kitchen, and everybody would hear him in the morning masturbating because one of the legs on his bed was shorter than the other. So it would make a banging sound. So he'd come down and everybody would make fun of him for masturbating. So he decided, I'm not going to let them get the best of me. And what he did is he would get up in the middle of the night, put his cowboy boots on, stark naked, go outside and masturbate. And when it came time for him to ejaculate, he could look up at the stars or look at his feet and he chose to look at his feet. And over time, he got so conditioned to being sexually attracted to and aroused by his cowboy boots, he couldn't get aroused unless he was wearing cowboy boots. He didn't know he was developing a fetish, right? right? And, and he felt a lot of shame for that. And so it's, it's an invitation to just be curious about, again, why is it that that particular thing or that particular way of having sex really turns me on the way it does instead of hating myself mm-hmm. for it? So we've got some, some popular categories d- d- dived into our research. As, as typical, we're using the Pornhub Urine Review report as well as a billion wicked thoughts. And so here's some of the interesting thing. Feet is the number six uh, search for term in 2022. It was one of the top terms that defined Pornhub search for the year. So, well, what, let's huge. just pull over because I think if we're going to get an understanding, let's, let's go with the popular one. What the heck would someone be turned on for? I mean, cause I mean, I'll be honest. I don't love my feet. My feet, my wife's feet are nice. I, I have never looked at someone's feet in a video or in real life and gone, wow, that's amazing. Now, that doesn't mean it's right or wrong. I just, that's just not my flavor. 
So what is the representation of feet when we're talking about an arousal template? Well, it depends on kind of your, um, your meta narrative and your psychological cues. So there, there could be a number of different reasons. So I'll share with you reasons that I've heard. Um, just from, from the, the guys that are attracted to women's feet in particular, there's a number of different scenarios. Number one is it's a power dynamic. Mm -hmm. So most cultures, we've talked about this, I think, in our uh, episode on visual cued sexual interest just a long time ago. Most cultures have practiced um, this practice called foot binding, particularly in, in the uh, Asian countries, where they would take a woman's feet and they would bind them into a small box when they were children to keep their feet petite. And so what small feet, women's feet are smaller than men's feet overall anyway, but to actually accentuate that feature is um, visually communicating that she's not going to run away and escape from mm. you. And so it's a dynamic of power where the guy can then, you know, have sexual relations with the woman because she can't, can't run away. She's going to be submissive. But there's other kinds of feet fetishes. So some guys are really turned on by women who wear spiked heels or, you know, uh, big stiletto heels and they want the guy they want to be laying down on the ground and want the woman to step on them so what is the spiked heel on a woman's high heels represent oh that's definitely a, power under you know someone it, has been abusive or it, violent in the past yeah and it can be a phallic symbol as yeah, well oh, so. yeah. everything's a phallic symbol <laughs> scott come on we've got five yeah. phallic symbols right here come on <laughs> So there's that dimension of, you know, I want to be submissive to a powerful woman. Mm. High heels represent a powerful woman. So those are the two different examples. For guys that are sexually aroused by and attracted to other guys, the ones I've heard are pr pretty much the same in the same vein of power over or power under. Um, one guy told me that, you know, when he started masturbating, his he would have his, he would be laying down. So he'd be looking at his penis, but also his feet. Mm -hmm. So his feet were in visual range mm -hmm. when he ejaculated. Mm -hmm. So he got attached to and aroused by that combined image. And that's still what he looks for in pornography. Um, other guys have, have, uh, had the same kind of power dynamic where they, they want to, you know, like lick another guy's feet or they want to be subservient to another guy. So kissing his feet or licking or his girl. feet. Is that's a big popular one in, in heterosexual. Is it, having a woman massage their penis with their feet. That, that as yeah. well. Right. So, um, interestingly enough, and we've, I think we'd covered this as well too. There is a map of the human body in our brains and the map that shows the location of the genitals also is connected in that map, that same area with our feet. Mm. So there is a direct neurobiological connection between genitals and feet which I think is why this area of the body shows up as kind of a fetishized uh, sexual area. So that's kind of interesting. Cool. Number 30th for the most searched for terms in the U.S. was furry. Now, this is a, way, a way, really popular way, category way, in the last couple of years. Yeah. What, what? Now, the only furry that I've ever seen, and it was really like I was on, uh, and this was early in the days of furries, and it was somebody dressed up in a, uh, stuffed like like a costume, like a mascot costume. Is that what we're talking about when we talk about furry? Like Tony the Tiger. Yeah, Tiny, oh, Tony, Tony the, the Tiger. tiger. <laughs> uh, I think it also cosplay has a lot. The, the 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 advancing of cosplay has had a lot to do with this for sure. 
So there's a lot of dynamics in furry. One is you're, you're kind of hidden, so your identity is hidden. Sure. So it's like wearing a mask. So there's complete anonymity, usually, in dressing up as a furry. Um, and it's imagination of being kind of an animal, mm. being something else, letting your animal instincts run wild. And again, the power dynamics of power over and power under, because in furries, you can have a master. Yep. And he pulls you around by a leash. Yeah. <laughs> so... There's that whole dynamic of, I just want to let my animal instincts go wild and become a puppy dog or whatever. Right. Or you can be penetrated by a, a, a what seems to be a fictitious being, you know, a fantastical being. And so there's that aspect of it too. So there, now you're getting into the taboo that could seem like bestiality, mm -hmm. could be seen like it's forbidden sex. So there's a that's a really complicated category. <laughs> and you can see why it's risen in popularity because it seems kind of weird. And I'm sure it draws a lot of people's attention, but when you look at all those dynamics, there's a lot of stuff going on in, in that. Um, so then we, we looked at too, um, in terms of just sexual search, this is from a billion wicked thought where, uh, where they looked at all the different sexual searches that they could find in the top, you know, 100, um, spanking was number 32. So that's kind of a bondage submission domination thing, but, being spanked or spanking others seems um, to be a popular search related to sexuality. So what's that about? Yeah, I think I would put that back in the BDSM slash big butts category. But I think there is an aspect of it. Um, we've done an aspect of, of rough sex um, where, where there is... Would you go as far as daddy issues on that one? Is that where you would go? Oh, I definitely would go as far as daddy okay. issues. Like, particularly in, um, you know, really conservative, fundamentalist culture, you know, the, the training is spank your kids on the butt. Mm. And sometimes you're taking their pants down to hit them on the underwear, or sometimes you're spanking them naked. Yeah. There is something inherently sexual when you're taking somebody's clothes off to spank mm -hmm. them. And let's say that that's part of your story growing up, like your mom or your dad would make you pull your pants down and they would spank you bare butt. Mm -hmm. But it's the only time they also nurtured you because they're putting you over their knee and you're feeling their knee on your penis or whatever. And well, but there's now they're spanking. There's them. also that you know that it boundaries are safe for kids so for someone to be to discipline and to pay attention to me you know i've heard this a lot of times the only times my parents paid attention to me was when they punished me so that that was the only nurture that they got and they got some containment in that but yet it was harmful in the way that it was delivered and so it was not complete it was still disintegrated yep Yep. And then it gets bound up in your arousal template when you start to masturbate, because that becomes an area of intrigue and arousal. And I've had guys tell me the only time my dad ever hugged me was after he spanked me and he spanked me bare butt. Hmm. So you can see then why that becomes a part of their fantasy template, because it represented connection. It represented touch, yep. Yep. care. It is touch, even um, though it's a little violent. It's still touch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, but usually in these sexual fetishes, it's not um, what, what you're looking at in pornography or what you're looking at when you look at it online. It's not violent. Typically, it's more playful spanking. Like, you're an naughty boy. I'm going to spank you. So you. there's a lot of role play involved okay. in that as well. Um, water sports 
was 35. So what's water sport? R. Kelly's favorite arousal template, the golden shower. The golden shower you know, is a part of it. Being on people and playing with urine in, in your sex life. And we've talked about how this kind of is a form of humiliation, degradation that gets bound up mm -hmm. in somebody's arousal template, particularly around child abuse. So um, I know a guy who was ritualistically abused in kind of a satanic child abuse scenario, and they would urinate on him beforehand. And so urine became a part of what his arousal structure was. He had to have guys pee on him before it was sexually arousing. So mm -hmm. usually a lot of sadness with some of these panties. Number 40. This is a wow, big one. Wow, yes. We know. We did, We listened to the MILF episode. I mean, we kind of touched on this, but there, there truly is a, you know, leaving these items around the house or having people who would walk around in bra and panties. Um, the, the, the fantasy of s the smell of a woman's um, vagina and her her bodily secretions that are on on panties, and you happen to put that against your nose at a young age and smell the mustiness, which is, I mean, there's a reason that sex smells like sex is because it's that part of the body that secretes all these different hormones that has those smells. But it's also really arousing, and if you don't know what it is, you just get attracted to the sight or the touch or the smell of panties. Yeah, and it's the same with guys attracted to other guys. It's men's underwear can be a thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Here's an unusual one, sleep. There's a, there's a technical term for this. I don't remember what it is, but it's wanting to have sex with somebody while they're asleep. I think there is a fantasy just on the uh, very consensual side of that. There is a fantasy of waking someone up with a sexual act or maybe walking into a place and seeing someone sleeping naked. And so there's an arousing aspect to that. Maybe there's some voyeuristicness to this where you're, where you're peeping in on someone who's asleep and they don't have very many clothes on. So there really is that, uh, that, that is a person who is at peace and possibly a willing partner. And so that can be a very arousing. Yeah. And so this is, again, a very, this is a very complex category, I think. So you mm -hmm. have to kind of get into the details of how that fantasy gets worked out. What, what is arousing about that type of pornography for a person? But, you know, the other dimension there could be, I have a lot of self-contempt. I don't think anybody would want to be sexual with me. So I have to imagine a scenario in which my partner is completely unconscious before I, they would be receptive to my advances. Tick, tickling is number 58. Ooh, ooh, that's very seductive. And that's, you know, that's the flirt, right? I mean, usually when you're starting to date somebody, you tickle them. Um, but a lot of people find that either a very annoying or b very arousing. So they can kind of go either way. So I can see how tickling for some people would just it would it gets to the point where it's painful and then it crosses that pain pleasure threshold. Right. Yeah. I, but I think there's a, a big neurobiological reason for this. And the neurobiological reason is we have seven kind of primary circuits in our um, brainstem. And one of those is play. And so, yeah. okay. so play is a very important, tickling is part of play that connects directly to the lust circuit, which is sexual lust. So there is a direct correlation between how we learn to be played with by being tickled as a child or wrestled with in sex. And so I think that kind of is uh, a longing for, that, that might represent a longing for somebody that didn't get a lot of touch Sure. Family system sure, sure. growing up. Or just 
play and adventure, we'll play especially and adventure, fun, yeah. you know, playfulness. Um, you have uh, guys that are really turned on by underarm hair. That can be a thing. Okay. Um, but really hair of any, you know, and I think you could take this and again, it would probably cross the line of whether it's a sexual, but you know, a lot of hair, a little bit of hair on the body, on the, on the genitals, under the arms, chest hair, um, be beards, chest hair, all, all, all those things. So there's, there's a ton of things there that, that may be associated with a, a, a very young experience or impression of someone who had that type of hair styled or hair back when they were a child and, and, and they, and they had an experience with someone who had a particular dynamic of hair that really maybe either made them feel left out or made them feel touched and cared for and aroused either or. That's right. If you're a little boy, if you're a prepubescent boy and you have a sexual experience with an older adolescent cousin and he's already been through puberty he's got pubic hair you can see how that would be like i have to be with a hairy guy because my cousin was hairy you can see how that would develop although the guy may not be aware of that's the dynamic there that would be what i would look to uncover there or you went to a music festival and you lost your virginity to a, a wild music woman and she was under underarm hair and hairy vagina and just you know there was she was she was a natural woman. And so you're like, Ooh, that's, that's what really turns me on. She's, she saw me first. That could be that too. Is that what that song you make me feel like a natural woman is about? <laughs> <laughs> now there you go, baby. Hey, by the way, if you've listened to popular music, it's all about sex. Yeah. Just, just, just go ahead and go and surrender. To so, it. um, these next three terms, I think kind of belong together. There's some difference. There's milking, which is 71 lactating and lactation, are 77 and 99 respectively. So milking, you got to make a distinction there. It could be prostate milking. That's a thing where somebody yeah, stimulates yeah. a guy anally and he uh, has prostate or, or seminal emissions, but also just milking a female. There's a ton of guys that have this yeah. fetish about milking, you know, sucking on a, a woman who's lactating her breasts. Well, and this is a particular fetish of that because it's not, you know, women's breasts aren't always lactating. It's just right after they've had a baby and they're breastfeeding. And so there, there is a particular vein in this and it's a huge, you know, point to mother wound issues, but also, um, the aspect of the novelty of, Hey, I get to partake in something that's kind of taboo. I mean, for an adult to drink breast milk, is definitely in in Western culture not accepted. Yeah, but there's a lot there's a lot of guys that are aroused by this fantasy yeah. of nursing their their wife or another woman's breasts while she's lactating, and I yeah. do think it goes back to the mother wounds. I, I know, in fact, I know a guy whose mother left the family after he had been born, and he would do mm. this with his wife. He wanted to nurse his wife when his baby was nursing. So, mm. and he mm. he made the connection. Um, Number 73, this is kind of an outlier, midget. So, Oh, man, dwarf tossing. Everybody loves that. That is dwarf the toss. reversal of your gigantism that, that you started off with, right? Well, yes, but, you know, you have to be, pay attention. As uh, Tyrion Lannister on Game of Thrones will tell you, not everything is small. So uh, there's this idea of more like maybe the power dynamic of or the novelty of I get to be with someone who physically looks very different from me. Like you're talking about the gigantism dwarfism, but there's also uh, in that, I think uh, a bit of forbiddenness because there's a 
pariah on little people and being sexual with little people. Yeah, so I think there's a novelty aspect too. But um, here's another one that kind of fits in the same genre, which is amputee. So that's number 95. So what? Now how is that arousing? I mean, the, the, the guy or girl, just they just had a bad rap in life. They lost a limb. I mean, what, why are we objectifying them? Well, it could be arousing to people who want to give care to somebody else because oh, yeah. they're aroused exactly. by caregiving. They're aroused by oh, tenderness. there you go. I like that. Right? That's good. That's good. Yeah. So I want somebody that's been damaged so I can come along and give them care. And I find that arousing. Oh, or, makes sense. Or I feel like I'm not whole and I want somebody to come along and make me whole by giving me care. No, oh, I love it. Yeah. That's good. So there's a tenderness there. Um, and then the next two in the list are um, locations, and one is showers, and the other okay. is gyms. And these are all kind of, you know, they could be male environments, all male environments. They could be female environments. So, but this so I have a question about this showers and gyms. I just personally, if you think about showers and gyms, is the arousal more in the, uh, you know, that's where I've found pleasure for myself. A lot of people masturbating in the showers or a lot of people going to the gym to cope with a lot of their emotional wounds. And so then there's an encounter with someone who's willing to be vulnerable with you in that place. Does he think that might be some of it? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Okay. So if you've, if you've been cruised in a gym or a shower before that, that could be mm -hmm. part of that. I think it could also just be a longing for belonging. Yeah. Yeah, in a true. same sex environment. So I just want to be part of the team. I want to be one of the guys. Right. And yeah, but I think it can go either way. Opposite, opposite gender, same gender, just another human being that sees me in wealth. For sure. But the, the whole experience about being physical together and then being, mm -hmm. uh, I, I'd be curious about how much of that is, uh, related. The gym and the showers are related together. Cause they seem, yeah. they seem to go together a lot. Um, and then, this is kind of a classic one. Um, leather. Spandex is the other one. Oh, yes. The, the, the yoga pants in for a lot of people. Yeah, it's kind of the similar idea. So what is that about? That's kind of about revealing my body in a way where this is a second skin, but it's not. And so mm -hmm. maybe it's I feel safe being touched at a distance a little bit. Or, or I want to be sexual without it feeling quite as overt. And so I'm going to objectify the look. I mean, you know, I think of, again, this is out of our category, but in that same vein, the camel toe or the, or the, or the gray sweatpant bulge, right. You know, you get to think about sexuality without feeling like a pervert yeah. necessarily. This is, um, this is almost like a furry thing in a different mm -hmm. way because it's a, it's another layer of skin. It's another way of protecting myself from being vulnerable and intimate, which is a lot of those cosplay, furry. This I can mm -hmm. see is kind of fitting into that genre of, I want to be sexual, but I don't really want to be that vulnerable while I'm being sexual. So I'm going to hide or I'm going to put on a second skin or something like that. And um, so, you know, it's, this is all very interesting, but again, it goes back to almost anything could be a fetish. A lot of it comes down to how does your sexuality develop? How then do you remember the fetish coming into your life? What are the symbols involved in that? You know, there's always a lot of symbolic stuff involved in fetishes as well. It's some attempt in some way 
to overcome something that is a, a symbol of harm. And we're symbolizing overcoming that through the sexual transformation, right? So yeah. just be curious about that. Um, again, you know, we, we laugh about some of these because they're funny, but um, that doesn't mean they're shameful. We invite you no. to look at them yeah. with curiosity and a kindness for your own heart. And they came into your life somewhere. So just be curious about when that was. And the avenue to get to that curiosity, guys, is story. And if you have done the work around story or want to do the work around story and you want to go further, Scott and I are, are glad to help with that. Reach out to us. Uh, we've got some great opportunities to do that coming up. And so what we want to invite you to do in this place of where you're probably listening and, and you know feeling a little uh, withdrawn and ashamed is just take a step. Take a step of faith and say, where can I begin to do some work to decode what's going on in my life so that I don't stay stuck? Because the guaranteed way to stay stuck in your sexual compulsion is to do nothing and stay silent. It will never change. You will struggle with it the rest of your life. Or you can just hang out with some goofy guys who want to talk about sex and share that experience with other men as well. And let's all heal together. So... Scott, always glad to spend some time with you. And I'll see you next time when we do We Got Balls. And you do too. Bye, guys. Take care. Don't forget to subscribe for more episodes. You can connect with Chris at PornFreeMasculinity.com and with Scott at SuccessfulMen.com.